It's a weird bounce off the officials. It's an onside play. A shot, and he scores! Tough break for Notre Dame. The puck goes off the ref, and it is a wrist shot through the five hole. There's a wrist shot, save made, rebound in front of Deke, and he scores! John Leonard! Two nothing Minutemen. Makara Bami scores! Kale Makar, three nothing Minutemen. Crowd on their feet. 2007 was a heartbreaker. 2019 is much different. The Minutemen are going to the Frozen Four for the first time in program history as they knock off Notre Dame 4-0 in Manchester. Welcome to the UMass Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA. And welcome to another edition of the UMass Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA Sports. Colin Casey joined by... Scott Marrow, Seamus Kelly, and Andrew Golden, as we're coming at you right now on Tuesday night. So air on Thursday morning uh, on 91.1 Live, but also have the episode upload. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever, thank you for tuning in. This edition is presented by Hot Table Panini. Located on Route 9 in Hadley, they've been serving the Pioneer Valley since 2007. Customers can try out the new ginger, honey, ham, panini, New England clam chowder, or winter beet salad for a limited time only. Along with the Hadley location, Hot Table has seven other stores, including two Springfield locations and two locations in Connecticut. They're open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday and look forward to continuing their service of the Amherst community with specialty paninis hot off the press. More info available at hottable.com. And we're coming at you on this Tuesday night just after a statement performance from the UMass Minutemen coming in at number nine after missing well over three weeks due to a university-wide shutdown mandated by the school. The state also having a huge role in that, UMass being a private, I'm sorry, being a public school. Big reason why this shutdown took place after a rise in cases. They come back with a huge test against the number 14 ranked Providence Friars and guys say they came out and played an absolutely spectacular game is the understatement of the year. They, they really didn't do much wrong outside of the one turnover that led to Providence's only goal, but eight to one, the final, what are some of your initial reactions about that first game? Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought they did really well. They, uh, I mean, they, they had just resumed, uh, like full squad practices two days ago when the school-wide uh, shutdown was lifted. They, they were practicing in pods before then, but uh, they, they, went back to resu- they went back to practicing two days ago. So that's not a lot of time to practice before a big game like this. And they really didn't show it. You know, they, they were all over Providence's uh, net the whole game. You know, they had they had so many opportunities, so many, you know, they, they look great on the power play. You know, they, they look like they just didn't miss a beat from, from before the shutdown. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think the fact that you see this team come up flying right from the get go, and it kind of shows that um, kind of the, I guess you can say the leadership and the ability to overcome the adversity that comes with a multiple week layoff, um, given the circumstances of how it happened. Um, it really, I mean, they could have responded one of two ways, I think, and it could have gone poorly and the rust could have shown and maybe they weren't focused or as focused as they normally would be. But um, yeah, when this team comes back and they're just coming up flying like that and extremely impressive performance all around from forwards to the goaltending, um, it seemed like this team was locked in and they just, it seemed like they wanted it more and they were more focused and more disciplined than Providence all night. And they were clearly the better team. So yeah, I agree with that. It was just, it was definitely just a really impressive all around performance from the whole team. Yeah. A, a well-rounded performance as well with 11 guys finding the score sheet. The one that really jumped out to me guys though, was Garrett Waite with two goals, two assists, playing with some serious confidence, just had three goals in two years at the university of Minnesota ends up transferring as a junior this year for UMass breaks in and has looked really strong playing alongside Josh Lapina and Bobby Trevino the last couple of weeks, at least before the shutdown. And this is a great example of it tonight. I mean, plus four, two goals, two assists. That that first goal he had, or, uh, was it the first goal, I think? Yeah, I think it was the first goal he had was really beautiful. I mean, he skated in down the right side on, on uh, Stauber, 
somehow had to get a quick release on that. And it was just perfectly placed. I mean, Jackson Stauber had a rough night in net, no question about it. There were a few goals, especially the two early on. I think he could have had back the one scored by, uh, it was, let's see, the second goal was scored by Farmer. Who had that first one? I'm blanking. It was, uh, 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 yeah, Gusevich. That's right. That was uh, the the quick release on the power play. I think that's one he, think he, he thinks he could have had. And same with the one from Farmer, pretty similar goal. But, um, but, Stauber made some big saves weight with just a really good move on that part. And that, 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 uh, that line has just been so consistent all year. And when, when you got a guy like Garrett Wade who comes in, not really a ton of scoring at the college level and breaking out, it's pretty crazy. But I talked with Greg Carvel post game and he had mentioned that weight was a really good goal scorer in juniors and just really never found his fit with Minnesota, who of course is a really good program currently ranked number four. So do you think this is an example, guys, of another instance where Carvel has found a player that might not be a great fit where he was prior to coming to UMass, but immediately is a guy that you want in your system if you're Coach Greg Carvel? Uh, I do. I do agree that this this is one of those instances because, like you said, he only had three goals at Minnesota. Um, and he had two tonight. The first one was just uh, gorgeous, and it, that kind of – that goal kind of uh, defined how the night went. He went right around the defenseman and beat the goalie who had uh, had a, a rough go about it, to say the least. And uh, another example of that is Geisowitz, uh excuse me, uh, Gisevich. Uh, he was a transfer as well, and he has fit in perfectly. He's been um, a great goal scorer for UMass. Uh, I think he's still – yeah, he's leading the team in goals by, by a couple goals still. Um and he's just he's just fitting perfectly. Uh, but yeah, it goes to show how how good uh, Carvel sets up uh, success for these new transfers and even the freshmen coming in. Yeah, I pulled up the the stats, the career stats for Garrett Waite. He had uh, twenty points in fifty nine career games before uh, heading the. Well, actually, that was that was in total. So it was uh, ten points total in minnesota and now with the four point night he's up to up to 14 points in 20 games played uh just just an absolute diamond in the rough and and you know it's, it's just i mean he Car- carvel finds ways to just find people from places that like they they don't have uh they don't have that much recognition but you know he's he's able to turn them into top line players and same with uh same with Gisevich he's had a lot uh better production uh 68 uh total points in 120 games played but but as you guys said he's leading the leading the team in goals he has 11 now so yeah yeah, it's a, he's had a really similar path to a guy that played at St. Lawrence before him, before coming to UMass. That was Jacob Pritchard, who was a, a huge, huge player for them in that run to the Frozen Four back in 2019. Almost identical, it seems like, the path they're taking. Uh, although I will say Pritchard was more of a facilitator. He really racked up a high number of assists where it's kind of the opposite for Gusevich, where he's just turned into the most valuable goal scorer right now on this UMass team. And we talk about weight being a diamond in the rough kind of guy, but there's a number of examples of this, of this that has happened over the uh, almost five years now that coach Carville has spent with UMass. And another one you can think of is Mitchell Chafee. He didn't exactly have those, you know, those uh, eye popping stats coming off the score sheet when he was in juniors came to UMass and instantly became a, a top line player and, didn't even make it four years. He made it three years, ends up signing a contract with the Minnesota wild. He's now playing in the AHL with them. Uh, just, just got his career underway as uh, their season opened up, I think last week. And the, the, that's just one example, you know, Matt Kessel's another one. He uh, had a relatively quiet game for Matt Kessel standards. Uh, he still had an assist, but, um, you know, it's one of those games where he managed to not score a goal, which is something that he does so well as a defenseman, but still picked up a point. Um, even Jerry Harding, another guy, former Providence Friar, Massachusetts native. They don't really get a lot of guys from Massachusetts on this UMass team. They've had to go other avenues, especially in the Midwest. A guy like 
Jerry Harding didn't find his footing really from the start with coach Nate Lehman. All of a sudden he's a, a really great contributor on that fourth line. And how about George Mika as well, who's come out of nowhere and become a really important player for them. He got a great opportunity when Eric Faith went down with an injury still out. So it must've been a pretty significant hit to the head that Faith suffered right before this long layoff. And Oliver McDonald's another guy who did not dress for this game. I believe it's also injury related because he's been a, a kind of an under the radar guy who's had a decent start to his UMass career as a freshman. So um, all in all, this team has the depth that you wouldn't really see when you look at it at first, you see these guys and they're not some of your household names like we've talked about, but every guy who gets an opportunity seems to make the most of it. Uh, You know, Philip Laganov, another guy tonight who has got an opportunity also with the faith injury didn't score, but he had a really good opportunity. I think it took a really strong save from Stauber to keep him off the score sheet. So all in all, this was, I think one of those examples of a game where, Everyone really showed their strengths. It was a complete team effort. And if they can get a performance like this on Friday, they can really put themselves in a spot to knock off BC and put themselves even further up in the rankings and, you know, potentially put them in a spot where they're more favorable going into the NCAA playoffs when, whenever that may be set to begin, whether they play in Albany, Bridgeport, or potentially somewhere else, but I'm assuming they're going to try to keep them in the region. So uh, do you guys have any other thoughts though on this game and, any other things that you really like that we haven't really talked about? Uh, I was going to add that. Uh, um, I was going to add that Josh Lupino, who's a freshman, who's another guy that not to keep hammering the same point, but kind of a guy who was relatively unheralded out of uh, the USHL. Um, who's really come on to seeing a new masses here. And him and Garrett Waite were both a plus four tonight. Um, and he dominated in the faceoff circle. He, or he dominated on the dot. He led the team in shots on goal tonight. Uh, I think it was just a really good two-way performance from Lapina. Again, a freshman who – he doesn't play like a freshman. And I think that's really impressive, especially with how weird this season has been, um, the way he's adjusted. Uh, I think – I mean, the, the amount of newcomers this year between transfers and freshmen who have just made an instant impact and um, they haven't really stood out as newcomers. They've um, really blended in and fit into this team and this culture and the play style, and um, they've – they're all just, I mean, I thought Lupino was incredible tonight. Him again, that third goal that Garrett Wade, he really drove the offense possession and fed Lupino up front. That was just that those two seem to have a really good chemistry going and um, it's impressive to watch. So yeah, that was just another guy that I wanted to um, kind of credit for having, I think, a great all around game tonight. Yeah, uh, I wanted to make a quick note on some of the defensemen uh, this game. Uh, first of all, with Ty, Ty Farmer scored the second goal for UMass. Um, see him. He doesn't really – he doesn't get on the score sheet too much. I know it's not really his job, but, I mean, he um, he was very uh, – he was he got very hyped up after that second goal, and uh, it seems like it lifted the team up even more, um, considering it was 54 seconds after the first goal as well. Um, and uh, I would also say that a guy that he should get talked about more, I feel like he's, like, kind of – gotten lost in gotten lost in conversations a little more Zach Jones so we all know he's pretty uh pretty great defenseman Rangers prospect uh and he ran the power play very well today uh the whole U.S. power play was very good uh but Zach Jones quarterbacks the whole thing uh and he scored today too um just to kind of put the dagger into Providence um and I'd also I'd also say something about George Mika too. I mean, he's he was an extra forward for a lot of games, and he's coming in um, to this game and a couple games before the pause as well. And he's really had he's really uh, fit into his role well. Um, uh, usually on the fourth line, but he's been very solid as well. Uh, a great overall outing from the defenseman and Mika. Yeah, and Mika's another one of those uh, one of those guys that had the opportunities from all the injuries. So he, he's, he's taken advantage of the opportunities he's, he's gotten. And uh, another thing I'd like to point out is that a lot of the goals and greater chances today were from like very low, very close to the net, like, like low slot, you know, like near the corner. Mika's goal was like below the slot pretty much. Uh, one of Waite's goals was in, in almost the same spot. You know, they uh, Wade, Wade also got a wraparound that led to a goal. So, 
you know, I, I, I think Carvel must have uh, really driven that, you know, drive, drive to the net, crash the net, look for rebounds thing. Cause that's one thing that UMass hasn't really like done as well. And so that was, that was good to see because, you know, the, the, the dirty goals are, you know, what you get most of the time. It's, it's mostly dirty goals. So uh, it's, it's just good. It's good to see them crashing the net and getting all those opportunities down low. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, they, they've been known to, you know, get a lot of shots from the point, which they did in this game too, as well. Zach Jones had a power play goal that was, that came from the point. So they were able to spread it out to a couple of, you know, when you have eight goals, obviously they're going to be coming from all over the place, but uh, they, they were able to kind of balance that offense where you'd get the production from those guys, you know, right in front of the net in front of Stauber. And then also the guys, you know, generating shots from the point, um, all in all, really a complete effort offensively. One more quick note before we head to break. I think in all of this that gets forgotten about is how sharp Phil A. Lindbergh looked despite missing, you know, three weeks worth of practices and all that. He looked like he didn't miss a single beat out there. Just the one goal allowed. It was on a 2 on 0 after a bad turnover. Uh, you know, not an easy one for a goaltender. I mean, if you talk to Phil, he'd probably say you still want to have that one back because he probably thought, oh, I could have still stopped that one. But he made some really good saves early on, especially because, you know, Craig Carvel said in post game that he didn't think it took him a good, you know, 10 or 15 minutes for them to get their legs. And I agree with that. I think even though they got those two early goals, Providence still had some decent momentum. Uh, you know, they weren't they weren't rolling over really until that third goal hit. They were able to get the, the one back in the second period, but then after that, it was all UMass. Um, so Lindbergh has got an opportunity to, to be the starting goaltender, and he has certainly run with that. You got a feel, of course, for Matt Murray, who's been pretty darn good this year as well. But I, I've said it before, I don't think outside of maybe Spencer Knight, there's a goaltender in all of college hockey that is as good as Philip Lindbergh when he is at his best. And this was, I think, another example of that tonight, as it had been for his last, whatever, you know, three, four starts he made before then. And, I mean, he's certainly had Providence's number as well. I think they've only gotten, what, uh, what two goals in regulation in, in uh, is that 180 minutes against him this year? That's that's an impressive stat. And, of course, they, uh, they went to overtime in both those games. And uh, I think, did they both go to a shootout? I believe they both did. So, He's seen a lot of Providence this year. I'm sure Nate Lehman's tired of seeing him, and hopefully for Providence's sake after how tonight went, they don't get to face them in the Hockey East playoffs, but I'm sure UMass wouldn't mind matching up against this Providence team. So with that, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about what this win means for UMass as they head into a crucial matchup against the number one ranked team in the country, Boston College Eagles, head coached by Jerry York on Friday night. We'll talk a little bit about that as well as the playoff picture in Hockey East when we come back. You're listening to the UMass Hockey Hour 91.1 WMUA Sports. Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley, is just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot Table specializes in a variety of grilled panini sandwiches and also offers a selection of soups and salads. For over a decade, Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using the Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. For more than 25 years, residents in the five college area have been getting food brought to their door by Delivery Express. Customers can order from over 85 Pioneer Valley restaurant locations. Almost every local spot in downtown Amherst is available to eat without having to leave your own home using Delivery Express. Online orders can be placed at DeliveryExpress.com. Phone orders are available through their iOS app or by calling 413-549-0077. Welcome back. UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA Sports. Colin Casey with Seamus Kelly, Scott Merrow, and Andrew Golden. Coming at you after a huge win for UMass defeating Providence on the road in a statement 8-1 to victory as number 9 ranked Minutemen look to build momentum into their next game, which will be against BC this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. This program is presented by Delivery Express. They have been serving five college area communities since 1990. Customers can over 
can order from over 85 restaurants located throughout the Pioneer Valley through their offices in Amherst, Northampton, and Springfield. More info can be found at DeliveryExpress.com or by calling 413-549-0077. So, UMass now has their third matchup scheduled against currently number one ranked BC. I think they were number two when they last played them way back in the beginning of the year. And it didn't go well for UMass. BC was able to win both games. There were, there were kind of parts during that weekend where UMass did play well. But the problem was, I remember, it was BC was just so opportunistic that every little mistake that UMass made was magnified and the Eagles just pounced on them. Matt Boldy had a couple of goals. I know Matt Murray had a, had a bit of a rough game in one of those uh, before Lindbergh got the start, I think, for the second game. So it's looking like, obviously, that Lindbergh's going to get the start. You know, he's got plenty of time, three days rest. And, I mean, the way he's playing, I don't see how you don't start him this weekend. So I don't know if that'll change anything. And I don't know exactly if this BC team has really changed much. Well, they kind of have because they've gotten a lot of guys back. And also, uh, and uh, most importantly, I think, is Alex Newhook because BC's power play has looked completely different since Newhook has returned. He really is the quarterback on that first power play unit, and he has been a difference maker on the man advantage since he has returned. So after an 8-1 to victory, if you're a UMass fan, guys, you got to feel good about your chances going into the game. But do you think those expectations should, should be scaled back a little bit considering how well BC has played this season with a really talented roster? Um, I think that you could say that UMass should have a, a pretty confident uh, confident view entering this game. I mean, because they, they, they throttled uh, Providence today. Um, BC, though, they, their last game was on the 20th, which was a couple days ago, So, and they beat Maine. They swept Maine and Lowell in their last four games. So they're they're flying pretty hot right now as well. It'll be, I think it'll be a really good test for them. Um, but I think with Lindbergh playing as red hot as he is, it definitely gives them a very good shot of, of beating a very talented BC team. Uh, was, you ride a hot goalie into the playoffs, uh, then you, you're going to be a pretty good team. And, I mean, they, they've looked pretty decent against BC uh, this season as well. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching this game. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this game is really important just from – even just a mental standpoint, obviously standings-wise and everything like that, it's important. But, um, I mean, going 0-3 against BC in the regular season, not to say that it won't can't happen, but it definitely, in my opinion, kind of gives you a mental hump that you have to get over come playoff time if you have to play them again. Um, just – I think after losing to this team early in the season, some tough losses to, especially in the second game, I think they lost by three, three or four goals. Um, I think this is definitely an important game just from a mental standpoint, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good one, but BC's talent level is it's, it's kind of unmatched across college hockey. It's just their, their talent level and the fact that they've all, most of those guys that are so um, they're high end players played together last year too. It's kind of, um, it, it is tough to discount how good that BC team is and definitely deserve uh, deserving of that number one spot. Yeah, not to mention that they're, I think they are the most well-coached team in the league. I mean, you can't get better really than Jerry York when he's been the, the, you know, the, the class, the, the top of college hockey coaching for the last almost 40 years now, I think, or maybe even be 40 years. I can't even tell the guy's been around forever. I think it might be 50 actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, he's, he's been at BC for almost 30 years now and uh, has found success elsewhere. He won a national championship with Bowling Green before winning four titles now with BC come came really close to winning several others as well. There's been a couple other times where they've gone uh, to the frozen four, haven't been able to, to pick that up, but they, you got to remember too, it's been a while because of how long it's been kind of since they've been to the national tournament itself. Uh, they obviously didn't go last year because of COVID. They certainly would have made it without question. Um, but now, and then the year before, remember they were, they were the seventh seed in the hockey East uh, tournament and they actually made it all the way to the finals, but they really had a bad regular season. They couldn't beat anyone out of the conference, especially. And they ended up falling one game short of the automatic bid by losing to Northeastern. So it's been, it's, it'll be five years since they've been in the tournament this spring. Obviously, they're going to be making it this year no matter what. I mean, they could even – I think they could get blown out the last 
three games they play this season and lose 10 nothing to Merrimack in the in the first round of the playoffs and still make it because of what they've done this year. So, um, but another thing that Seamus, when you're talking about the talent level, um, one thing to not forget is despite all the goal scoring they have, they have some really talented defensemen as well. The, the guy that jumps out to me right now is Drew Hellison. I think he's been playing at such a, such a high level ever since he came back from juniors. Uh, he's, he's starting to add some more goals. Whenever you get a defenseman that starts scoring more goals, it's always a plus, but his skating ability is almost unmatched. It seems like out of defensemen in hockey East. Um, I don't know if there's any other names that really tra- jump out to you guys on BC, but uh, but him and Marshall Warren have really made up a really, you know, a really strong pairing this year. And uh, I think are two of the better defenders on that, on that BC team. I think another thing that uh, kind of needs to be like, remembered if you're, if you're a UMass fan is that, uh, is that the, the times we faced at Boston college, they, they had two, it was, it was really close losses. The second one was six to three, but they added, uh, either one or two empty netters at the end. I can't remember, but that was also kind of during a rough stretch in, in, in their season, the beginning of the season, they had a, they had kind of a hard time, you know, lifting off. They had a, they had a tie against UConn uh, the week before they had the two losses to BC and then they were, and there were close losses too. So that that's a good sign amongst all of this. Um, but then after that, they had, they, they lost to Merrimack. So just, it just shows you the kind of like the kind of slump that they were in at the beginning of the season and how they had these two very close losses to, you know, the number one, the number two at the time ranked school, you know, in between all of these. So um, obviously now UMass is getting, or is feeling more confident after, especially after the eight one win. So I feel like they have a lot more momentum going into this game against Boston college as they have, you know, in the previous games. Yeah. I mean, you can't get much more momentum after an eight, one victory. And I think that's exactly what the doctor order, especially the most impressive thing, obviously out of this, I think even if they faced a lower opponent that they were able to win this big after such a long layoff would be impressive, but to do it against the top 15 team in the country is certainly a, uh, a huge step in the right direction for this team. And I think it speaks also to the character of the team, kind of a culture win as well, that they were ready to go probably taking some frustration out because they knew that it wasn't really up to them that they couldn't play uh, for the, for the last three weeks, they, they did, didn't have any positive tests or anything like that. So it wasn't really their choice. It wasn't really their fault that they weren't playing for three weeks. And so they really took their anger out on the Friars tonight. Um, speaking of, I guess the Friars and really other teams in, uh, in hockey East, it seems like UMass, BC and BU have kind of separated themselves from the pack. The other eight teams do you think there are any other teams out there that have the potential to, to play spoiler to those three teams in the hockey East tournament? Or do you really think it's, it's almost guaranteed that the, the, the tournament will go to one of those three teams? Um, I would, I would just like to say that uh, one team I'm a little shocked with how, how much lower they are in standings compared to last year is UMass Lowell. I mean, they're, they're five and eight. Uh, on the season, they, I mean, they haven't played many games at all. So, I mean, I guess you can't hold that against them. But I'm a little shocked to see a team like UConn uh, right above them. Um, I, I had some good expectations for UConn, but uh, not like UMass Lowell because they're usually up there in the standings. Uh, and I know we just uh, – or UMass just killed Providence today. But uh, Providence is just – the one thing about them is that they, they – they may seem undisciplined at times, but they, they are a very gritty team and that can, that can go a long way. And considering if you don't look at tonight, it, both games UMass played against them, they tied each time. Uh, that, that's due to a lot of things, but they play a very hard game. Um, and Northeastern, I mean, they, they've, they've held their record. They haven't, they haven't played the, the greatest teams this season, but I mean, they've gotten some wins they needed to. So yeah. Um, the biggest thing is I'm a little shocked that UMass Lola isn't as high as they are in the standings. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's hard to, it's hard to say that I, I guarantee um, any of those three teams 
um, winning the tournament just because I feel like in Hockey East, any team can steal a game um, or a couple games even, and a goalie could get hot. You never know. Um, but Northeastern, even though they're, I think they're in fourth place right now, it is, it is tough to say that they're on that level just because they really – the competition of their – the quality of their wins, I guess you could say, I'm kind of a college football thing, but um, it just hasn't been great. They've their biggest wins have come against UNH and Merrimack, it seems like, and they've struggled against uh, they're struggling against UMass, and I think they're struggling against BC too. Um, so yeah, it's for me, it's it's tough to say that it's tough to say that any of these three teams won't win. And I think, um, I mean, BU having played so little games, even they're kind of tough to judge, but they haven't lost in regulation since the first game of the season. Uh, David Ferentz, even though he's, he's only played like six games, he barely played, but his production level has been incredible. Um, it's and yeah, I think those three teams are clearly, like you said, head and shoulders above the rest. But I guess it's really hard to discount the rest of the the rest of the conference just because you never know who's going to get hot, who's going to steal a couple games. It's, it's hard to predict. Yeah, and you talk about the uh, the the quality wins thing. How you know that that normally isn't like a quote unquote stat to really focus on in like hockey and hockey East, but. It, but now with the the tournament uh, so different this year with with the uh, the hockey's power rankings, basically, is that the the quality of the wins actually count more this year. So, and I think that's why Northeastern is ranked so low. They're in sixth because they are nine, six, and two. But as you said, those a, a lot of those wins are against the Merrimacks, the the Vermonts, the you know. So. That I think that really does does help, and I think it, it is much more important to get like a, a quality type win this season, and especially to build momentum too going into the tournament because the tournament's just a single elimination this year. So I mean, you need you need to be hot when you go into the tournament, or else you're you're gonna you're gonna fall out quickly. So. So I think I think momentum is just such a big thing in in this season compared to others. And one one, one thing before I uh, turn it back to Colin, um, I just wanted to to put into perspective um, what their wins and losses are kind of looking like. Uh, they played UMass twice. They lost both times, kind of close games. Um, and then they they got. Uh, they lost to BC by four goals, and then UConn. They also lost by three goals. Um, other than that, most of the wins um, <laughs> they've beaten up on New Hampshire uh, for pretty much the whole season um, and Merrimack. But those are the those are the teams that they really um, they really taken it to, and they have a win against UMass Lowell. But yeah, just like everyone's been saying. Um, they, their quality wins haven't been uh, haven't been up to par with what UMass had to face and what BC and BU had had to face. So that's why they're looked at a lot differently than them, even though they're fourth place. And Scotty, you mentioned it. I wanted to bring it up. I don't think there's really a dis- more disappointing team this year than New Hampshire at five thirteen. Oh three yeah, bro. In uh, oh. in in second to last this year. And and Seamus, I remember back you know two years ago. We also went. We we called our fair share of games up in up at Whittemore for UNH, and it was such a tough place for UMass to win. They finally were able to break through for the first time since '06 this year. But even back to the uh, the Frozen Four year, they went up three nothing against UMass in Game One of the Hockey East quarterfinals, and then they ended up losing that game in double overtime. And it seemed like from that point on, they had some high moments. Obviously, uh, last year. But since then, they've really been on just a downward trajectory. And I really thought they were in a really good spot with a a relatively new head coach and Mike Souza. They were trending in the right direction. I think that first year, despite them finishing eighth, there was a lot of, they were playing a lot of close games against some quality opponents. And obviously they gave UMass a run in that first game. And of course, UMass was, I think, the number four ranked team going into that playoff. So they were certainly on a roll or at least trending in the right direction then. And since then it was just the wheels have come off. They've, they haven't gotten the same production they were getting out of some guys, you know, a year ago or even year, two years ago, however long it might be. Uh, do you think, I guess I'll ask Seamus specifically, did you expect a lot more out of them this year than being, you know, only better than Vermont this year? 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, we got to see them up close and personal quite a bit the last couple of years just because we went up uh, we went up to Durham a couple of times, a bunch of times, actually, and watched that team. And, I mean, that that barn, they, that, it was electric. It was a lot of excitement around the program. They did have a lot of young talent. They had drafted guys um, up front. I think they had uh, some drafted guys on the back end, and they had two young goalies who were both NHL drafted. I mean, you just think that um, I mean, go, I remember going into those games, looking at the roster sheets, seeing the NHL players or the NHL drafted players, the excitement around the program, the, the fans. It, it did seem like this is a program that was on positive trajectory, uh, a positive trajectory um, once again. And it, it has been surprising for me to see them struggle. It's um, I don't I, I don't really have an explanation for it. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely surprising because I remember how much trouble and how hard they played against the Minutemen pretty much every game, especially at home. Uh, and they kept giving them trouble, no matter how talented, how much more talented the minimum were at that time and how much more experienced it seemed like. But, um, yeah, it, ha it has been weird to see UNH kind of regress when you'd think it would be going the opposite direction for that program. You, you think it might be, you know, a curse of uh, Tim Stutzel uh, after he signed with Ottawa? Remember, he was a UNH dra uh, uh, team initially committed there before, of course, being drafted third overall in the 2020 draft. Do you think maybe that might have something to do with it that, uh, say, I mean, well, I mean, I, I won't say it might have had something to do with it. He's probably a game changer for that team. If he ended up sticking around and, and at least playing his freshman year up in Durham. Yeah. And he's already producing at the NHL. I think last time I checked, he had like nine points or something in his first 15 games. He He's already producing. So if he's already producing at that level, just imagine what he could be doing right now in Durham. It's it, that is, if you're a UNH fan, I mean, that's, that's gotta be, tough to watch sometimes it's kind of I guess the stories about how um John Carlson should have been a minute man and uh to bring kid I think was also maybe committed to UMass at one time and then you see those guys have the careers they've had it's kind of maybe a similar thing uh for UNH fans to watch him tear it up the NHL level this early probably more painful because it's a hundred percent clear that he was committed there uh before being yeah. drafted but you know you had to know that risk was coming uh, very rare you see those top five guys end up playing at a college level. Cal McCarr being one, Jack Eichel playing a year at BU as well. So it doesn't happen too often. I think James Van Riemsdyk actually was a top 10 pick as well for UNH before he ended up uh, fulfilling his commitment and playing there. I think he was actually the highest uh, guy drafted to play multiple years at the college hockey level um, before Cal McCarr ended up playing two years at UMass. So um Certainly a tough blow for UNH. Uh, we'll see how the recruiting uh, cycle, you know, if, the, if that'll do them any favors going into next year. But you, you wonder if that's going to impact Mike Souza's, you know, it, what his uh, his job safety is after a tough season like this. I know he's a, a really well-liked guy with the organization. He was a great player in his day for UNH back in the late 90s when they were uh, one of the top teams in the country. And, you know, it's possible that he gets a chance to try to turn things around and, you know, it's still early on. He's, it's, he's just in his third year, I think this year. So he might have, you know, a, a little bit longer of a leash in, in that regard, but yeah, it's, it's tough to see a team like UNH that's been historically, you know, one of the top teams in, in producing NHL talent and also uh, competing at such a high level in the conference over the last, you know, 40, almost 40 years now. Um, but I guess one other team we didn't talk about either, another team that I think we expected to regress, and they certainly have in a big way, is Maine after losing Jeremy Swayman. He's already producing for the Providence Bruins at a pretty high level. Um, are you guys really surprised at all that Maine kind of fell off after losing Swayman? They lost Mitch Fossier as well. Tim Doherty actually went graduate transfer. I'm trying to remember. He's at a really good school right now. I'm blanking on which one. Uh, but he's playing for one of those uh, Big Ten teams, I think, right now. Might be Michigan. I don't know for sure. Um, but are, are you guys surprised at all for this massive regression after the loss of Jeremy Swayman? Uh, I'm not uh, very surprised about that. I uh, we've we watched him last season uh, play against the Minutemen. Uh, he was. Uh, ironically enough, it, um, the Minutemen were the only team he really had uh, like a lot of trouble with. Other than that, he had a, a really right. outstanding record against other teams. Uh, and when you look at the UMain uh, roster now, they only have they only have a couple prospects that are uh, drafted. Um, they're not they're not really too notable. But um, the the difference in goal has been quite substantial for them. I mean, they haven't they haven't had the games. They haven't played as many games to to, you know, try and get some wins in there. But 
Uh, it's just that it's a hundred percent a a rough year for the for the Black Bears uh, compared to the past, especially last year. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you, I think you could tell that after Swayman left, there would kind of be like a like a sort of rebuild period for for Maine because Swayman was just such a a big piece for them, being. Uh, easily one of if not the best goalies in the hockey east for like since, since he started so and add that uh add that um doherty's gone he's he's in penn state now i just, that, I just oh that. okay yep and uh, in like all, all, the, all their other guys that, that have either aged on or you know transferred it's it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be rough for a couple of years but main always finds a way maybe not as much lately but they they usually they usually find a way to to build that program back up and uh come come back strong in just a couple years few years so you know maybe maybe by the time this core is like getting towards their their end we'll start to see Maine come back I will say on Maine the um if you look at the, their record from the last couple of years, at least uh, last season, they won 15 games at home or no third. Sorry. They were 13 and one at home, but they were five and 10 on the road or five, 10 and three. And then this season, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, they can't play home games. And obviously the travel up to Maine, I believe that's the longest uh, travel distance for most teams in hockey East. Um, and it's, that's quite the home ice advantage they have there. And it's usually a pretty electric atmosphere there too. So this season, without that, without that home ice advantage, they have to travel all the time. And for them, it's a long travel to go on the road and drive six plus hours down to Boston or out to Amherst. Um, it takes away which, you, when they usually have a winning record at home, losing record on the road, and now they're stuck only playing on the road with these long bus rides. Um, I don't know. I think that definitely has something to do with it. And obviously, the loss of Swayman is huge because we saw him carry that team to some big time wins. Uh, the last few years, but yeah, it's, I think, I definitely think a narrative that needs to be mentioned in that is the fact that they can't play home games. And that historically has been one of their biggest advantages is how uh, it's tough to play there and it's tough to travel there and um, put together two good games um, with that long of a travel distance. So yeah, that's definitely something I think that should be mentioned there too, as well. Well, let's face it. This is kind of how Maine has operated through its entire program history outside of the time they had Paul Correa. And obviously he was a big reason why Maine was a contender. One of the reasons why they won that national championship in 1993. But if you look at their top uh, NHL, you know, guys that have gone on and had success in the NHL, look, what's the common denominator here? Let me go through them. Garth Snow, Scott Darling, Jimmy Howard, Ben Bishop, uh, am I missing? I feel like I'm missing one in addition to those guys. Maybe, Maybe not. Well, Swayman now, essentially, too. They're all goaltenders. They've mm-hmm. been producing goaltenders since the beginning of time, it seems like, ever since this program started. And they've kind of rode those strong goaltenders to these deep playoff runs. It's a big reason why they've gone deep in these playoff runs. I remember Jimmy Howard flat out stole a game from UMass in, uh, in 04 in the National in the Hockey East Championship game. So, They've been known to have great goaltenders. They still have a lot of guys that have gone on to the NHL that have um, that have had success. You know, some of the position players. Uh, Teddy Purcell, I think, was one guy who also went through as a uh, forward. Nyquist, another guy. So they've had those guys. But it, the the big thing about Maine is that they've had such great goaltenders throughout the years. That's why that's the reason why they find success, and they're going to need to find another one in order to get back to that uh, that same level that they were playing at with Swayman. I mean, let's face it, even though they played better with Swayman, they still weren't the same main that we saw in the early two thousands and the late nineties. I mean, it's been a while. They've only been in one national tournament since 2007 and that was in 2012. So this isn't the same main we've, we've grown accustomed to seeing earlier on. I know red Gendron is, is, has kind of struggled so far as he's in his seventh season. Now his uh, win percentage is well over 45%. So it's 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 not surprising that with all the other losses they had in addition to Jeremy Swimman that they're struggling, but Swimman really was the the guy there in Maine winning the Mike Richter award 
big reason why is because he really kept them in all these games. And I think they were the three seed, if I'm not mistaken, going into the hockey's playoffs because of him. So they, they actually had a pretty high seed and they were going to play at home going into hockey's playoffs. If I remember correctly last year before the tournament ended up being canceled. So yeah, just, uh, we, we really kind of came at Maine, but the bottom line is they, they certainly haven't been performing up to the standard we've seen this season. Um, any final thoughts that you guys have on maybe how about we'll, we'll wrap up here with what team do you think if you're at one of those top three teams in BC, VU and, U, and UMass, what team would you want to avoid in the playoffs at all costs? Not including them, by the way, not including any of the top three. I think, I think UConn might be a dark horse. You know, they, uh, um, when, when UMass saw them, they had, uh, a lot of their top guys in the in the world juniors for uh, for Russia, uh, the Kuznetsov, the, the the big strong power forward for uh, for UConn. He has a big impact for them, and he you would be back if they were to uh, meet in the uh, the hockey East tournament, and and so he can uh, guys like him can really affect one game for, for UConn. And so I think like having, having them in the mix could make them a dark horse team to, to move on and possibly win the, the hockey's tournament. And uh, my team, I would probably say is UMass Lowell because uh, I mean, I kind of bashed on them before for being a little lower than I expected in the standings, but nevertheless, uh, they've beaten UMass, I believe twice this season, actually. Um, and like like Coach Carvel said, uh, the these two teams are building a, a rivalry, kind of like a a right to the to having the bragging rights for the Massachusetts State schools. So um, that's you know when it, when you have a rivalry like that, uh, it can go either way. And um, uh, just like kind of like Providence, they're a big aggressive team, and those those teams can be hard to play against during playoff time. So. I would say UMass Lowell probably out of that, but uh, the Minutemen have a very solid position against all of those teams. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Andrew and go with UConn. That's a team that preseason, I remember we were giving, um, we were kind of saying is a dark horse uh, to begin with. And that's a program that's been on the rise for the last couple of years. And this season they've, um, they've lost a lot of games or tied a bunch of a couple of games, I believe on overtime, which I mean, maybe there's a pattern developing where they can't really close out games. Uh, maybe they're choking a little bit. They're not very good in crunch time, but I don't know. I think it's kind of fluky that they're, I think six, six of their games have ended in a loss or a tie at overtime. Um, and I just think so many games that were so close to going the other way, uh, their record could look a lot different if there maybe a couple bounces went their way when they needed to. Um, so that's a team that I think is better than the record shows, even though they, it's not that they have a bad record, but I do think they're better than the record shows. Uh, and that's a team that um, we were kind of, respecting I think in the preseason and I still think they're a dark horse that has the talent to take out any of those top three teams no doubt the uh, the thing about UConn they're they're eight nine and two so they have a losing record but they are fourth in the hockey standings and uh they have a they have a pretty high uh hockey's power ranking even though UMass is pretty much widened the gap on them but uh you know, that, that really shows you that they've been playing good teams and been playing them well. So, uh, and so, I mean, like you, you put them in any situation and they, they could do well against those teams. And one, one person I left out is their, their goalie, Tomas Ramashka. He, uh, he, he kept them in it really when, when UConn played UMass. I remember they, in, in the tie, it was pretty much, because of Vamashka that, you know, UMass didn't win that game. It was, they, they I remember they dominated that game and, you know, the, he, he, he stood on his head. And so um, we, we've talked before about hot goalies and if Vamashka gets hot, they could, they could be scary too, because we've seen him get hot before and he has these single-handed ability to, to, to change the outcome of games. So they 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 have a they have a well-rounded team going into the hockey tournament. They could be a dark horse for sure. 
Uh, I'm going to go with, I guess I, I was kind of hoping someone else could, was going to say it so I could go with my other pick, but I'll say the safe one and go with Northeastern because uh, they really do have talent and De- Devin Levi still hasn't played a single game for that team. And he's faced far more high pressure situations than, you know, a hockey's playoff game. He was only the goaltender for Canada and the world juniors didn't end up getting the victory, but part of it is because he ran into an equally talented goaltender in Spencer Knight for Boston college. Um, once they get him back, once Sam Colangelo finds his scoring touch, I think they're a really dangerous team. Gunnar Wolf Fontaine and both Jackson brothers have produced pretty well as freshmen. Aiden McDonough has really taken a step forward this year. They have the scoring. My worry for them is if they can play good defense in front of Levi. Connor Murphy, when he's had the defensive help, has actually had a pretty solid season in, in the interim. But uh, once, once Levi comes back, I think they, they really have the potential to be a different team. My other pick is going to be the Merrimack Warriors because they have had some pretty incredible performances this year, including a victory against the UMass Minutemen uh, in their own barn in that one. I don't see them playing any games in their home barn against those top three teams, which is too bad for them because they really do play well at home and give teams a lot of trouble there. They've given BC some trouble also this year in the past. So uh, Scott Boric teams are known to play really hard. The big, the big guy that I'm looking at on that team and that really nobody's talking about is how talented Alex Jeffries is. That guy can play. He's a freshman, not getting a lot of, you know, the same recognition as some of the other freshmen that have played well this year, whether it be the guys at BC, like Ambrosio, Nestorenko, whether it be, uh, you know, Lapina, UMass has had a good year. Those, all those Northeastern guys, they played well, but Alex Jeffries was given UMass a lot of trouble. And he seems like a guy that you can really build your team around over the next few years. I think he's draft eligible, if I'm not mistaken. He might have actually gotten drafted already. He's I, drafted I, by the Islanders. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's an Islanders prospect. I like him a lot. I know Scotty's a big Islanders fan. I think he's someone you want to watch out for. He is clearly isn't on the best team in, in terms of that roster. It's still a really young roster, but they have a really good compete level. And I think they could really cause some problems for these teams. They even beat UMass on the road last year, or I think they tied them on the road last year was, uh, which is not an easy thing to do by in any stretches to tie or beat a team at Mullins. BC is one of the only teams that's done it three times in the last, you know, three, four years. So um, yeah, Merrimack's a team. I think that you can't really forget about, of course, they got to get through whoever they face in that opening round first before they can really have a crack at any of those top three teams. So that'll just about wrap things up. Uh, once again, uh, BC and UMass in action at Conti Forum Friday night at seven o'clock. Don't think we'll be able to be on the call for that game, but look out in the future as we are starting to open our studio back up and expect us to try to start doing some of these broadcasts, whether it be in person or remotely, we're looking forward to getting back on the call. And we're looking forward to having you back tuning in to our broadcasts. But in the meantime, be sure to tune in next week's episode around the same time uh, for Andrew Golden, Scott Merrow, and Seamus Kelly. I'm Colin Casey. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time right here on the UMass Hockey Hour.